I'm Lindsay Berra, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. In these Gurus editions, we'll feature strength and conditioning coaches, nutritionists, recovery scientists, and other performance specialists who help athletes to be their best. This is part two of our conversation with Nate Shaw, who has been the Major League Strength and Conditioning Coordinator for the Arizona Diamondbacks since 2006. His job is to make each pitcher, infielder, and outfielder on the D-backs roster stronger, faster, and more powerful. However, Nate also has an athletic training background and believes that health and durability are just as important as skill. He works simultaneously to improve performance and to bulletproof his athletes against the rigors of a 162-game Major League Baseball season. Overall question, how does training for ballplayers differ in season and in the off season, because obviously, you know, off season, you're doing your gains in season. It's just the schedule 162 games. You're not gonna be able to do that all the time. How do you change programming for August versus March? No, that's great. Great question. I would, I would take March out of it because March <laughs> is spring training and that's literally the worst time of year to be a baseball player. <laughs> it's because it's, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. Okay. Um, January, January. Yeah, yeah. For sure. January. <laughs> and like, like I would even say like the off season, right? Say off season versus in season is your question. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like, you have to be able to do the, the most important things are the movements that they need to be able to do the positions that they need to be able to get into. So I try to fortify those positions during the season and lift when we can. There's always a line, right? Like the line that you cross or don't cross of what's too much and what's enough. So for me in the off season, I'm less concerned about crossing that line. But during the season, like if we could draw it out perfectly, you know, we had the HRV and I don't know, we took blood serum levels and we knew they were eating perfectly nutrition and, you know, they were getting 10 hours of sleep at night. Everything was perfect, right? Like I would argue in that perfect situation that any rep that you do that you don't have to do is unnecessary. Like anything over what you're trying to do is just wasting resources, right? Like if you're planning things out and you've got compliance, then you know what is enough is enough. And we don't need to necessarily work on mental toughness or overreaching or a good training program is going to be the stimulus that you need anyway. So why overstimulate? And that's I'm way more cognizant of that in season than I am in the off season. If guys want to get heavy and they want to lift and they want to be wrecked and they got sore legs and can't use the restroom, that's great. Do that in the off season. But <laughs> getting gains. And what we're trying to do during the season is, is you think about it. Like if you lift once a series in the season, which is very reasonable. And typically what I say is twice a week, a total body twice a week. So it's a little bit more than one per series, like one point, I don't know, three per series ish. That's 50 lifts. That's 50 lifts a year. So we're not just maintaining in season, we're still gaining in season, right? But we're just monitoring the movement patterns and making them hopefully be a better version of themselves, not necessarily a stronger version of themselves. Although if you look at the cumulative load by the end of the season, they will have gotten stronger. They will have gotten more athletic. So it's maybe a different emphasis on the stimulus that we're giving them, but we still want them to be strong. So off season, I'm assuming these guys are lifting probably five days a week, right? Uh, Just yeah, for like yeah. numerical. Yeah. It depends on the personality. It depends okay. on, cause you can break it up. I mean, anybody can, you can break, 
anything up any way you want to. What I recommend is total body three times a week in November and December while you're doing cardio on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Like it's that simple. Like, Hey, go out, run around, do some agilities, but be moving. Okay. And then in those times, by the time, if you put together six solid weeks of that, four to six solid weeks of that. And then you want to split it up and go Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. I love that too. Right. Cause now we've got enough of a base in there, right. We've enough of a prep phase where we can actually work on things like sarcomeres, diameter, right? Like let's get big. <laughs> right. But for the most part, strength is there's such a neurological component to strength. Like we don't actually have the opportunity to affect muscle size in the windows that we have, unless we're consistent all year long. Do you have an opinion on how, as a professional athlete, obviously they need to be strong and fast and bulletproof and whatever, but they also have to practice for their sport. So what percentage of an athlete's time is spent getting bigger, stronger, and faster? And what percentage is spent hitting a target with a baseball? Yeah. I mean, I would say that's a great question and that's an evolved question. Like that's trying to sift into the nuances of baseball. And I think that's really where the art of being a baseball strength coach comes in because if you have in season, so you have a center fielder and you know what, Hey buddy, we got to get our leg workout in tonight. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Let's do it right after the game. We got a late bus to the hotel. We have all these different variables and it's great, right? Okay. Awesome. Let's do it. We go out there. Pitcher has a bad night doubles in a gap. We give up 15 runs in the center fielders, whatever sprinting at 33 meters per second in the game. Stat track says he ran six miles. Uh, you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, bad we, game. Oh, right? like it's a bad game for that outfielder. And if that's he became the case, a midfielder, a soccer yeah, midfielder, uh, it's like, what are we doing? Right. So to take that guy and bring him in and then lift him to make him strong. Like that's a really bad idea. So I don't know where the actual line is. And it's a totally individual thing. You know, I, when I first got introduced to HRV, I was like, Hey, how how do you use, I was talking to Brandon Marcello when he was at Stanford and uh, just awesome guy opened his gym to us. And you know, you think you're, I'm a kid from the East coast. So it's either MIT or Stanford. Right. And I'm like, all right, Stanford, these guys are smart. I said, what do you think about HRV? Like, how does it actually work? Like, what are you doing? He's like, well, we found a really good correlation between, I feel like this today. I feel like this today. And I feel like this today. And so for me, you have to have those conversations all the time and know where the athletes at. Right. So, and I say that with the caveat that I feel like weightlifting is an auxiliary. It's one of the 10 events that they have to study for, right? Like they Mm -hmm. got ground balls, outfield balls, they got base running, they got infield, they got hitting, they got bunting. You can, you can slice baseball preparation into a thousand categories, right? I usually joke around and say, they're like the Catholics. There's at least 10 that they're training for. Right. And so for me, we only have out of a hundred tokens a day, we probably have 20 that we could play with. And if they've used up a lot of them out there on the field, then I'm just going to peel back what I'm doing and take less of those tokens and use them in my world so that I can adjust and not overdraw their bank account so that they're wrecked the next day. So like, it depends on the day. And, you know, I, I really despise the, it depends answer. Right. But in a perfect world, you're trying to adapt and give them the best stimulus that they can use for that day without crossing that arbitrary line of overdoing it, which ultimately we've kind of figured out leads to injury at some point. Right. Like, so it's like fine dining. It's a very <laughs> casual, you gotta, you gotta really be involved and try to ask good questions and get a feel for it and make the best decision you can that day. 
So you've mentioned HRV a few times now, heart rate variability. This is something that a lot of people probably see on their aura rings or their whoops or their Apple watches or their, I don't know which devices are actually giving it and which aren't giving it, but they probably have no idea what it means or what to do with it. Can you explain that real quick? Yeah. The best way is like, it's like a gas gauge. We call it a readiness score. Like what the, each of the I don't know, Garmin and Aura Ring, and they, they have the Whoop Band, they have like a readiness score. Like, hey, like your batteries essentially are recharged or they're not. It's kind of a simple way to look at it, right? So if you go, if you get a night's sleep, maybe you had some beers before you went to bed, it was a big party with the team or whatever. You didn't eat really good and, and we got a day game or like you get up, maybe your battery is only recharged to 27%. So your readiness score out of a hundred, maybe it's 27%, 27, right? So it's like, well, how do I change that? Well, I could sleep better. I could eat better. I could rest more. I could take a recovery day, do some soft tissue, maybe get in a hot tub cold, like all these things that add back into and help recharge your battery. So they've come up with different types of metrics and it's debatable if they're actually accurate or not, or they matter or they don't like there's still some grayness around the validity of all of those things and how to use them. But in general, they give you an idea of how much the things that are getting measured say that you're ready to perform at your best. So I, that's probably, I don't know. Is that, is that all right? Is that a decent answer? Yeah, uh, yeah, of course. I have my HRV thing too. And it's funny, like sometimes it tells me I got this amazing night of sleep and my HRV is good. And my resting heart rate was 42. And like, um, I should go out and run a marathon with a tree trunk on my back. And I'm like, man, I feel terrible today. So sometimes, and then sometimes it tells me, my, the converse that I'm totally not ready and I feel great. So I do use it, but I feel like there's always like a grain of salt with everything where you've got to be able to sort of look internally and be like, all right, what's really going on with me today? How do I feel anyway? But you've been at this a long time. Recovery technology has changed so much over the years. Obviously you're talking about HRV, which we didn't even know about a minute ago. Are there recovery modalities that you think work better than others that you have a lot of guys doing? Is that also super individual? What are the new stuff do you like? Do you put a lot of stock in that you think works? Yeah. Another good question. I think I'll answer it like this. I think there are some things that some themes, some fundamental themes that you just can't get away from it. If I was going to grade them out, I would say number one, recovery, sleep. Number two, maybe one, one, a like hydration, sleep, nutrition. Like if you take those three and you can maximize those three, then uh, there's no widget. There's no shortcut. That's going to beat those three. Okay. That being said, if all those things are equal and you're, you're maximizing those things then you know, I really like the hot tub, cold tub, the, the CWI, the, there's some people out there that say, Oh, you know, the cold tank where you stand there for three minutes is awesome. And you know, and then there's other people that are like, ah, that doesn't really work. I think there's some individuality in it and I don't know the old cold tub and the hot tub. Like if you change your body's temperature and force it to get into a parasympathetic state versus a sympathetic state, I think you're doing good. So I like the temperature changes, the contrasts. I like those massage is a good one because I think your body responds to dysfunction or overdoing it or whatever by creating tone. And if you can take some of that tone out, then your body's a step ahead because as it as it relaxes and as it gets further from the training session, it will relax itself anyway. So if you could speed that process up, excuse me, I think that's great. Not to be substituted in as just massage though, because I think some tone is good. Like we don't want flaccid tissue. Like we need some tissue with some snap to it. 
So I like periodic massage, systemic massage, relaxation stuff, a lot of the meditation, a lot of the, the things that you've seen out there. But I think it just comes with, there's no, there's no single bullet that works for anybody and you have to find the things that work. You know, I, I've been training for jujitsu a lot lately and I've really enjoyed it. Awesome sport. And I listen to my body and it's like, bro, you need to take a light day tomorrow for sure. You need to go in the cold water. You know, you keep the temperature sitting there for 10 minutes and you come out and you feel like you didn't work out. And that's the way my body responds to it. Do I like getting in the cold water? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's the, the, the little percussion tools or the myofascial release. Like you have to put as much time into recovery as you do working out. And I think that's, what's been missing in the world of strength training. I think that ideologically became what it is in this world where, I don't know, maybe where everybody was on the juice and you could pump iron as much as you wanted to and get as strong as you could, because they were trying to get strong and all that stuff works for getting strong. But when you go to activities, like you, you have to be able to listen to your body. And I think all of those, all the recovery tools that we've talked about are maybe methods or portals into learning about yourself and what makes you feel good. It's funny. I have a hypervolt and I, I, I think I have, we have a hypervolt and a travel Theragun. We've got a whole bunch of them. I love them, but I use them real quick in the morning, get a little blood flow in, maybe kind of as like a warm up, And then at nighttime, I'll be sitting there watching TV, doing them on my calves, my quads and whatnot. But you talk about maintaining some tone. I'm like, Oh, I got to stop now. I'm turning myself into a piece of veal. I am overly tenderized. <laughs> and then you just got to move it on to the next part. You can keep going. You just got to move it around a little bit. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you keep talking about nutrition. Do you advocate any type of particular diet? I know you work with the nutritionists there. Are you guys suggesting stuff for the athletes or is that all individual? What works for them? Or do you yourself even follow a particular type of diet? You might just rename this thing the Good Question Podcast. <laughs> um, I think, again, I, I would probably defer back to balance. I don't know that I need the, the groups that the uh, USDA says that I need, or, you know, I'm not, I'm probably a little bit more refined as I've gotten older. I think the key to doing anything is knowing what you're doing and why. And uh, I would recommend some type of testing around either, either your blood type testing or your, get your gut health checked or just getting your blood work in general and seeing where you're at. And I think the the first step is probably, you know, traditional blood work and like, Oh, Hey, if you're eating too much red meat, then don't do that. If your blood, I think there's something to the cholesterols and like all that stuff is real. And if, you know, whether you want to be a vegan or not be a vegan, or you, I think you have to look at the body of evidence that comes out of whatever testing that you look into and then maybe get different testing and a different perspective and then cross-reference all that stuff with how things make you feel. Like I don't do good on broccoli. I do great on cauliflower. It's like really simple. I don't do weird. Yeah. (laughs) I, I don't do good on beans, but I do great on protein. I don't like chicken, but it's good for me. If it was up to me and I could eat anything I wanted, it would be a nice medium rare fat steak with a big fat potato. And I drink my vegetables in a shake because I don't really like vegetables. Like that's what, that's what I would do. So what I try to do is realize where my shortcomings are based on the things that I know that I need. And I try to dovetail in some things that make sense. And so you know, I take a little caffeine in the morning with some spinach because I don't get enough vegetables in and put vegetables in there and I just tolerate it because I don't like it. And I try to make sure my blood work is in check and our nutritionists, the things that we do with our athletes, it varies because, you know, as major league baseball players, they have a lot of 
I don't know rights, but there's like a lot of walls up sometimes because, you know, we work for the team and the team pays them. And it's just a it's kind of, sometimes it's just a little bit funky. And the cool thing that we've done with the Diamondbacks is, and I'm sure every team tries to do right. It's like, Hey, I'm just trying to help you with your, what's in your best interest for you to perform. And you can be the best athlete you can be like, that's, I'm not going to take your blood work into arbitration, buddy. Like I could, that could care less. Right. But <laughs> there's that thought, right. So we have to work around that. And, you know, when we do have a completely open player, that's completely open to learning and doing the things that we're capable of, we do a lot of blood work testing. We do all the testing so that we can get a picture of, Hey, what are we doing? It's like, if we're going to do rehab on a shoulder joint and we don't have, we suspect a rotator cuff tear, but we don't know, like it would be better if we knew. So that's kind of the uh, just try to take away the uncertainties and understand what you're trying to do and, and then go down that route. So we have a robust supplement kind of, I don't know, menu. We can get you whatever you need. That's NSF certified. And we try to use those things to supplement and augment what they're doing on the field. And we have really good nutrition. We had a couple of players along the way that really helped shape kind of what we do from a food preparation standpoint. And then we had COVID. And so like, hopefully this year is going to be, back to normal with meals in buffet trays, regular style, where you don't have to have everything individually served and you can actually sit down and, and eat and, you know, enjoy the food and maybe go back and get seconds if you want to and choose the things that you want to choose. But I think it boils down to education and knowing what direction we're trying to go. If that, that's it, kind of a cop-out answer, huh? No, it's funny. You mentioned the spinach. We had Anthony Zamora, who's the chef and nutritionist for the Utah Jazz on. And he was saying that every single smoothie they make at the Utah Jazz facility, he sneaks some spinach into it because it's just like a little powerhouse. And honestly, even if the guys say they don't like it, it disappears in the smoothie. You are not well, going to taste that yeah, in a protein if, shake. <laughs> if you're a pro smoothie maker, right? Like if you're on team Vitamix, like yeah. you know the difference between spinach and kale. Like, kale. like <laughs> yes. there's spinach you can just hide. It's like no problem. But when you're when you're drinking kale, it's like mm, this is so kale has good. like Ugh. an aftertaste of dirt to it. I think <laughs> there's like a little bit of like this came out of the ground when totally you put kale in your spoon. It's like a first world problem though. For sure. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Do you have any particular supplements that you swear by that you recommend to all your guys for either like from the strength and conditioning perspective or from the recovery perspective? Great question. I like the recovery stuff. I like glutamine. I like the, you know, the little cherry bomber. We, we call them cherry bombers. We, Tart cherry. <laughs> yeah. You put that in there, put some glutamine in there and get them to drink it. And they, and they, they seem to feel better. So I'm, I'm into results, right? Like the things that stick out in my mind are the things that people ask for because they feel like they work. And I think the supplement industry is wonderful because there's so many options to help people that are deficient in one of one zillion things. And the things that seem to work the most for me are staying hydrated and staying blood work imbalanced. So I don't know, I probably defer back to like, I love a good probiotic. I mean, I'm totally like the most boring guy to ask these questions to, because it's like probiotic, multivitamin and probably fish oils are probably going to be the, the simple things that you can do yeah. that give you the most bang for your buck. And, and Hey, this stuff's not cheap either, man. Like it's not, you can't just say, Hey, go get your fish oils. And it's, you know, it's 60 bucks a month for that. And you throw glutamine on top of that. It's 80 bucks a month for that. And then vitamin D is like six bucks a month. So yeah, for sure do vitamin D it's important anyway. And, and you can afford it. Like it all adds up. And so I would say post-workout nutrition, and I would say glutamine, and anything around the recovery component of things, anti-inflammatories. 
what are the things that you think, I know you work mostly with professional athletes and they're a cut above the rest of us, normal people, but what are the biggest mistakes you think average people make with their strength and conditioning programs? Mm. Oh man, that's <laughs> so back to your first point about the athletes being a cut above. Like, uh, <laughs> You're like, I don't they know that I agree with that. they're not. Yeah. No. Okay. They're, they're well, good right, at some stuff, right? But they're regular talented, people. Uniquely yeah. talented at a specific yeah. thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And paid to exercise. The rest of us are not. We have to squeeze it into our little, you know. I don't know about paid to exercise. I think that might be a (laughs) loophole, right? Like, so so I have the the wonderful opportunity to coach 11-year-olds as a youth coach, right? I also have the wonderful opportunity to coach 25-year-olds that are actually still 11-year-olds. And everybody's different. And I think everybody's, uh, I think if I could say one thing that pro athletes maybe don't aren't aware of is that everybody that works with them is probably in some sense trying to over deliver. Right. So sometimes it's really easy for a pro athlete to be surrounded by people that are really good at what they do and take it for granted. Like just don't realize that. And I think that's probably the biggest gap in the general population and the professional sporting people. Whenever there's money, man, there's knowledge. Like if there's pro money, you're paying somebody 550 grand minimum wage. Like, Hey, we better make sure we're taking care of that guy. Right. And youth sports doesn't have that, you know, Johnny workout guy at LA fitness, you know, at 5am in the morning, like he doesn't have access to that. So you know, what's easy, Instagram, Facebook, uh, what my buddy did, what my friend told me he could do it. And it's like, I don't think there's enough knowledge around the differences between what is good for you versus what is good for everybody. And again, there's some really nice buckets like lunges are probably good for most people. Side lunges are great for most people, right? Heavy squats. I don't know, man, you have a back issue. I don't know. Are you super tight? You sit at a desk all day. Like, you know what I mean? There's, there's a thousand variables. And I think it's harder for the average person to get easy information. That's good without putting effort into finding it, if that makes any sense. Because I feel like there's a lot of really, and there's some bozo professional strength coaches out there. And and I used to be one of them, right? Like everybody's made mistakes. And if you think that what you're doing is perfect, then you're probably a moron. And if you think that what you're doing is like exactly right, and you got it down pat and you're resistant to learning, then good luck to you, buddy. Like, (laughs) awesome. You're talking about keeping things simple. And you mentioned that you're coaching. This is your son, your 11 year old, right? So when you're out there with the 11 year olds and you have to boil down sport and food and exercise to something the 11 year olds can understand, what do you tell them? I think you try to simplify things down to the most usable thing. And, you know, one of the things that we implemented this year, this is the second year with this team. And one of the things that we implemented this year was just a really good warm up. And that warm up, like, okay, great. Like, yeah, we got a warm up. Everybody knows that warm up. Warm ups used to mean stretch, hold the stretch for 10 seconds, switch. Right. And it's like, man, there's a, there's a bunch of data that says static stretching makes you worse. It makes you more prone to injury. And so it's like, whoa, should we do that? Like, probably not. Right. Like, I don't know, but maybe not. And so for me, it's, Hey, we're going to get our temperature up. We know that's good. So let's do some activities that really make sense. Right. So for me with the little guys, it's about teaching movement patterns. So crazy stuff that we used to do before we had these cool headphones and these iPhones, like we would go skip, right. Skip high, skip long, jog in high knees, run sideways, run, you know, karaoke, 
know, there's a couple of really cool sprints that I've learned over the day, over the years. Uh, one from Zach Deccan down at TCU. It's kind of like a half kneeling sprint in the lateral direction. And it's awesome. So you get in like in a lunge and you just, you push off your front leg. If your right foot is up, then you just run to the left and uh, you watch them get better at those things. If they can't squat, then I work on squatting. We do frog jumps. If they can't get down on a ground ball, then we work on full range of motion squats or a sumo squat where they have something up here so that their butt has to get down. It's like, it's just like finding, you know, Hey, what's your expectation of where this person should be? right? Expectation, maybe not the right word, but where you think they could be, where they want to go, right? And then where's the disconnect and what are we going to do with that gap and how do we address that gap? I think that's what I try to do with, with everybody. So it's funny. I feel like a lot of adults who train or exercise or run or whatever it is that they do, they do skip that warm up thing altogether and just start like, Oh, if I'm going to run, my warm up is a slower jog for a few minutes. But I was just hiking with a girlfriend of mine and we're in like the flat part of the trail early on. And I just started skipping whatever. And I stopped and she said, I bet you haven't done that in a while. And I'm like, uh, no, I skip like every day as part of my warm up. Plus it's fun. Okay. Um, you know, 44 years old, get in a good skip. You feel like a kid for a minute. That's good for you too. Right. <laughs> totally. Totally. And you know, so my mom, she's an amazing human being and she's been through a ton of stuff in her life and has the wonderful experiences. And what she does now is she's a massage therapist and a personal trainer for, for elderly people or silver, silver sneakers, or, you know, the old Older folks, right? And one of the things that you know, we talk about, like we talked earlier about this train, right? Like rehab and strength and conditioning are the same journey, right? Just different places. Well, if we extrapolate that out to exercising when you're 96 or 102, it's the same thing. Like what's important. And one of the things that was really important, the frontal plane is really important in baseball because it helps you get into the transverse plane. But what happens to a lot of old people is they begin to shuffle their feet and they don't, they lose their balance because they don't go sideways. So like warming up on the treadmill and jogging sideways while you're holding on is fantastic. Like it's going to help you age like fine wine instead of like bad chocolate. It's really important. And being able to move in these directions, these patterns, like it helps you in so many ways, not just getting better at sport. I love that term silver sneakers. I've never heard that before. I feel like that's me. I get my silver sneakers. Oh, totally. Hey, look, look at my hair. Talk about silver yeah, right? sneakers, right? Um, I want to ask you just two real quick fun questions before we bug out here. Since you've been on the road for a really long time and you're always on the planes, what are your favorite snacks that you keep in your duffel bag? <laughs> that's a good one. That scenario probably doesn't fit me as well as some on the plane. I try to go with the healthy thing, like whatever, just because I know I'm bored and I'm eating when I'm bored. But if you're going to ask me like what my favorite food is while I'm traveling, like slight nuance, meatballs and cookies, man. No doubt. Meatball. Meatball. The next question, like meatballs and cookies. That's like your favorite cheat meal, which would have been the other question I was going right. to ask. But like meatballs your favorite snack, like oranges oh, man, are a good snack. That's fine. Yeah, I don't like oranges, man. I try to eat this. So I don't know, like if, if I'm going to eat, if I want to eat a snack, like we have Michelle, she's our uh, our dietitian. And you know, we, we got great snacks on the thing. I use the plane typically as a place to whatever. Man. All right, let's eat some celery and let's eat some carrots because it's smart. It's good. I'm bored. I'm emotionally eating if we stunk. So, but when I get off the rails with a snack, the problem about being 46 and working out a lot is one of the compartments that hasn't shrunk on me is my stomach. So I can, I can eat 
a lot quickly and I usually regret it. I don't know. I probably just mow through some Kit Kats and, uh, and probably wash it down with some Gatorade and get a little sugar high and then, then hit an insulin response and I'm out. Okay. Nobody do that. Don't listen to anything you just said. <laughs> That's when I'm at my worst though. Okay. Well, Nate, I thank you so much. This has been really fun. I feel like I could talk to you forever, but I don't want to keep you more than an hour, but I really appreciate it. Awesome. It's been super fun to talk to you. Thanks so much to Nate for joining us on Food of the Gods. Be sure to follow Nate on Instagram and Twitter at at N8Shaw1. You can also follow the Arizona Diamondbacks on both Instagram and Twitter at at DBacks. Until next time, for more information on Food of the Gods or to download other episodes, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at at foodofthegodspod or email us at foodofthegodspodcast at gmail.com. Food of the Gods is a Digitant Podcast production.